You're listening to Oxide Film, written and directed by Matty O'Donovan and Tom Sayre. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Oxide Film. Hello, Thomas. Hello, Matthew. I did not bring a mascot this week for our The episode. ultimate sin. Oh, because we, we only went to go see the film we're going to review this week, Green Book, a couple hours Literally ago. Literally a couple so I hours ago. I haven't had time to think it, think it through about what mascot <laughs> I wanted. So, unfortunately, we don't have that representation. But... You have some excellent films. I have some spicy news for us, I suppose. Yeah, I'll begin with um, just a very short story. Um, The reboot for Dune movie casts Javier Bardem as the character of Stilgar. I'm really sorry to fans of Dune if I got that wrong. Um, I've never actually seen the Lynch movie, nor have I read the book, but it does sound like a really appealing story to me personally, the whole feudal interstellar societies kind of kind of jam yeah i I've, I've always been meaning to get into those books but also every person who receives uh, who has read those books and received news about this adaptation has criticized it in some capacity <laughs> for not following one minute point yeah. of a very expansive universe yeah or so i'm told that does look interesting i also heard that um oscar isaac yeah he he's reportedly being eyed up for a role as well. oh brilliant so he's okay looking very star awesome star-studded brilliant moving on from there i've got a couple of sort of amusing stories i suppose for this week um so peter the, the um very famous animal rights society i suppose wants pixar's toy story 4 to get rid of bo peep's crook um <laughs> so oh, the, the, wow. the, the new poster of bo peep uh strikes a defiant sort of pose um sort of action stance with her crook yeah. i mean i don't think that's meant to mean that she's going to be attacking animals anytime soon oh, is, is that um, why they want it no to no no I, I don't think so like jokes aside you i guess can see why they would request this as as peter like is a tool with a curved end to to you know grab sheep's necks with so it's not exactly 100 percent animal welfare friendly but like i said bow peep is not exactly the most uh warlike of beings so I, it's just I, part of a personality i mean pun semi-intended but there are much bigger fish to fry when it comes to what Peter need to address their issues so. on. They um, have they have quite aggressive policies. Um, uh, yeah, so. of course, but why? Why? Or, like I understand the rationale behind it, but that that seems like we're damaging children's minds, Matty. Oh, we are. Oh, get we with are. the times. It's not all that violence and sex. It's 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 the you know the crime. Well, on a similar uh, note, I suppose uh, there's been a fairly negative response to the trailer for extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Oh, the Ted Bundy. Uh, one, I think. Yeah, it's coming out this year. It stars Zac Efron. The trailer's tone is quite like comedic and sort of very weirdly light. Yeah. Um, and it plays on the famous nonchalance and the uh, the good looks of the, Ted the Bundy. Looks. The the interesting thing there is, I'm, I, if I'm not mistaken, one of his um, surviving victims yeah. of, of, yeah. of what he carried out s- said that she was okay with the depiction because it was important to examine the kind of glamorization and of him as. A, an, truly heinous figure but a figure mm. that also attracted headlines because he wasn't the traditional look for what you'd imagine people carrying out such yeah. acts would uh, would look like loads of people online are really pushed for um glenn hobbiton from it's always sunny in philadelphia yeah. to <laughs> take the role instead yeah. because that basically the role he'd been playing in that show for the last 13 seasons mm. but that should be interesting yeah um, i mean i mean zach efron himself has has said that the film is not meant to be a celebration or a yeah. glorification but you can see the point like the ted bundy uh netflix show yeah that just out, came out didn't as it? well as uh you which is like the perspective yeah, yeah. Of, a, of a sort of serial stalker uh, guy which all play on the the 
potential for that kind of character to be very good looking and charming and it you know in a morbid sense it does make some sense for someone to be attractive you know to allure their victims you know firsthand if that makes sense it would be interesting Um, to see if uh, there's any kind of fetishization of 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 what he did in a kind of excusable way we'll see don't judge anything by the trailers um Tra- trailers, I mean, like yeah, we said, are a strange machine. Especially for something like this, um, yeah. which we'll talk about when we come to Green Book. Uh, yeah. Any more news? I think that's it from me. Yeah, we that, can go into that, our... I love that Bo Peep thing. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's yeah. amusing, but I do sympathise. Yeah. Um, but um, anyway. Yeah, okay, perfect. We can move on to our new release for the week, which, as I mentioned before, we only saw a few hours ago, so it's fresh in our mind. Uh, Green Book, another Oscar contender. I know we were talking about them uh, last week. I'll give a brief summary, as I always do, before we get into things. So the film's narrative is about Dr. Don Shirley, who is a renowned African-American pianist who enlists the help of Frank Tony Lip Valagona um, as both a driver and muscle for his music tour in the early 1960s as he delves deep into the Deep South. And so he uh, enlists Tony Lip as protection. But the film begins to examine this relationship between these two chalk and cheese men as they go and bond through this road trip and they acclimate to the racial segrega- uh, segregation and often insidious discrimination Shirley faces as a black man in America. Now that's the general frame of the film, but we can go into a few more specifics because I, d- I don't think it's one of the most convoluted in terms of plots in comparison to what we've done in the last couple episodes. Should we go into a clip? Um, I have one prepared. I'm so excited. Hope you enjoy. How is that? Salty. Have you ever considered becoming a food critic? No. Not really. Why, is there money in that? I'm just saying you have a marvelous way with words when describing food. Salty. So vivid, one can almost taste it. Hey, I'm just saying it's salty. And salt's cheap. Any cook can make things salty. To make it taste good without the salt, we'll just get the flavors. That's the trick. I mean, you take the basic ingredients. We should really get going soon if we expect to get to Pittsburgh by dinner. Hey, when I was in the Army, I know a guy from Pittsburgh. Except he called it Pittsburgh. Because he said all the women there had huge tits. That's absurd. Probably the women in Pittsburgh have larger breasts than, say, women in New York. Guess we'll find out, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, a kind of classic bit of uh, dirty humour from the character of that Viggo plays in the film. Yeah, Viggo Mortensen. Uh, that's one of their early kind of interactions before, you know, things are kind of broken down a bit more. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I think that it very much summarises aptly what the strengths of this film are which are its two lead performances in uh, Mahershala Ali as the uh, pianist Don Shirley and Viggo Mortensen as Tony Lip, his security and later we will find out his friend. That dynamic between them I'm going to say it from the get-go it's a strength of the film that carries a lot of the film's inadequacies and its inaccuracies and also it's kind of not glamorised, but certainly not as nuanced take about 
certain issues to do with race. It, a lot of the reviews I read uh, after seeing the film described it as feel good. And I think if a film so far this year has described the words feel good better than this, then I would be surprised. Yeah. What are your thoughts? So, yeah, um, I definitely do agree with the feel good aspect of it. There was um, definitely uh, it kind of interplay between the interesting question of how they're going to be dealing with the racism as they kind of go further and further south into uh, the states. Fun fact, they actually end up in Little Rock, Arkansas, where I have some uh, some family in America, um, nice. just uh, cousins of my dad. Um, and I've been invited to go to their Thanksgiving a few times, and I really actually want to go because I want to experience what it's like to have that much food in one evening. <laughs> um, but yeah, I um, again, I do agree that the the film is very much a two-parter and part of the appeal at the beginning of the film when they first have their encounters is seeing how a separate lies they lead um so so tony is a sort of man of new york is very no frills and the opposite is true for the doctor yeah yeah Yeah. um yeah i mean it's very apparent from the get-go that it's a film that examines opposition, not just in terms of the racialized element of a white driver and his, his black boss, as we'll, as we'll see. Uh, a lot of critics said that it's very much an inversion of sort of the driving Miss Daisy uh, example from the early 90s, which won the Oscar, coincidentally, then. Oh, with Morgan Freeman. With Morgan right. Freeman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that... I think it was Mark Commode as well especially said that that was similar to this film in that it was quite middling in its actual arc but the two main leads managed to propel it a lot higher. Uh, the kind of to and fro that they had certainly put a smile on my face and we had a, very much an audience that was very receptive to the jokes and the That's interplay. very true. We, we had a couple of kids that started to really annoy me in the uh, in front of us who like when there was actually one of the more subtle jokes these kids would be like haha funny like after the laugh has subsided um a couple of times it's just never exactly like it's a bit of a mood killer and like you never want to be that guy so. I, 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 yeah of course like you like stop it children yeah. enjoying yourself <laughs> at the cinema I, yeah. do, I do get what you mean i mean that's... maybe they weren't being sardonic maybe no, it was genuine no, no, no. <laughs> i mean like leading into that that does does suggest a quite interesting thing about this film in that it deals with some quite heavy issues with Mm -hmm. not necessarily a a light touch, but one that's more a cursory glance. So that kind of probably is why both it's an Oscar contender and two, you can see families going to see a film like this, such as the, the kids that were in front of us. Now, as much as I love that dynamic and as, as we see the opposition between Mahershala's character, who is more erudite and refined but it was also a black man facing bigotry and hatred and systemized discrimination. And also Mortensen's character, Tony Lip, who is very much salt of the earth, takes no nonsense yeah. to yeah, put totally. it politely. That dynamic is fantastic. I enjoyed, or not enjoyed, I think is the incorrect word, but I was fascinated by the kind of different scenes of discrimination that they face as they go through all of these tours and the, the more systemized and insidious ways in which even though Mahershala's character Don is catering to these highbrow white audiences through his piano playing, he's also he's still treated like he's nothing, like yeah. he's dirt. It it just it felt 
often like a lot of those interactions were more like vignettes in that were intriguing of themselves but weren't quite cohesive and because of that it it felt palatable but it didn't feel like it was mining particularly deep beyond you know talking about how prescient these issues are still are about racial discrimination i don't know what you thought about that but i think i actually really agree with you on the most part in terms of the scenes being like vignettes and it was extremely um the scenes were very much by the numbers uh, in terms of the film building up a kind of tension where you you have these undercurrents uh, playing through until they are made explicit and in the, in the bar and whatever yeah. um and then later on in the film you have sort of not a redemption per se of characters but just more happy interactions when they thought they were going to go sour um with the police basically um in the film and i was thinking about this uh sort of in the second half of the movie that i have a sort of tension inside when i think about this kind of story um green book is a 12a movie it's yeah. you know most pe- it, folks it can pushes, go see it. it pushes the boundaries for a 12a yeah, I totally say, has but... a lot of language uh, from from tony as yeah. we as we see um so that means it's accessible and the story that it's trying to tell has has and will be for a very long time still a very important one yeah. this is set in 62 you know that's 57 years ago mm-hmm. um that's not long at all for you know the, the human history and the fact that we progress so far beyond the attitudes that we see in the film is amazing and wonderful but we still have so far to go in terms of underlying prejudice um so the message is so important but to counter that we've had films that deal with these horrific things um in my opinion, in a more mature way, um, like uh, Mississippi Burning from the late 80s. I think yeah. it's 88 with Willem Dafoe mm-hmm. in really early in his career, yeah. um, which is the title gives it away. It's, it's in Mississippi and there's a case of, there's like a murder case um, and someone is sent yeah. from uh, DC or somewhere more <laughs> racially advanced yeah. um, to kind of come and deal with it. And over the film, he tries to really get under the nails and yeah. sort out the racism in this in this community and so that you're, film what is, you're saying is there are definitely been better more nuanced takes yeah, yeah yeah so so my preference lies elsewhere but that said i know for myself that i can still say like i said earlier the message is important and i'm more than happy for it to take a different kind of tone yeah. if it's going to reach more people because mississippi burning is horrendous it's a really yeah. horrible movie and and it's very heartfelt but difficult to watch um so this kind of film which has still difficult scenes that can be consumed more readily and get people in the nose is the 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 fact of the matter is is this is a mainstream film that is always got to be accounted for in terms of audience reception and how they choose to tell a story and what how the strength of the message or you know the sort of nuance of the message the and also additionally it's an oscar contender and my opinions about the Oscars notwithstanding, it, what counts or constitutes as a film that is worthy of qualifying for the Oscars can sometimes not be quite the same as what your favourite films of the year are or what you feel like had the, the strongest message or like thematically the most intriguing. But the one of the fundamental issues that I kind of had with the film is it wasn't consistent in the sense that uh, and i was looking through all of the reviews to see who would pick up on this and it was only one review and it was something that really stuck in my mind okay. near the beginning of the film before our two title characters uh, our characters meet for the first time uh t- 
Tony, Tony Lip that is, has two uh, black electricians in his house who are just sorting out some wiring and his his much more progressive wife is offering them like lemonade or something like that and his Italian buddies and family are all kind of saying horrific racist stuff but in Italian so they can't hear and she offers them lemonade and they take the glasses and there's a shot of them drinking from them and then you're like okay this is going to be paid off later and like a few scenes later he throws the cups in the bin his wife later discovers that discovers that but the point being is and i'm going to use the words i think it was from peter bradshaw's review because it describes it perfectly that implies like a fanatical level of racism that gets completely brushed like under the carpet when they meet each other um mahershala mahershala's uh, character the doctor and Vigo's character because that that that's incongruent that doesn't make any sense if he's going to do something like that that's like hardline racism racism only thinly veiled but they start the, their little arc going through uh, the deep south where it's like yeah he has these prejudices and these quite questionable thoughts about race but he's seen as a little bit more malleable or, or likely to change his views once the story goes so that was really displaced and i think that was indicative of a wider inconsistency that was only surpassed or improved upon because of their interaction what we were talking yeah about. i agree actually um i was thinking about this with the car journeys in the film mm -hmm. so i agree with you in that um they're focused more on tony's bemusement more than anything yeah. else and it's a much more of an innocent thing where he has a couple of times where he's like he's playing music on the radio and it's happens to be african-american music yeah. and he turns around to to Mahershala's character and he says like don't you know all these people like they're yeah. your people kind of yeah. thing Did you and not it's know not chubby checker yeah. you know sam cook or Aretha franklin yeah exactly like... and it's not aggressive at all it's just him being a bit confused i think yeah. in, in my opinion um so i do agree that the 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 arc is is sort of strangely placed and the focus is more about them becoming friends despite being different people mm -hmm. instead of anything else which is nice because being friends is cool but yeah i, I suppose there's actually an odd conflict uh, story-wise in that they seem to want to focus on this journey that mahershala's character is deliberately placing himself inside where he's going on this tour in the south yeah. and it's made very explicit in the film that he doesn't have to he could make so much more money sticking around new york um mm -hmm. and, and having a much more of a comfortable life but he is determined to do this and it's and, a matter of progress to be yeah, honest with you yeah, yeah. A, and a matter of like i suppose testing his own dignity mm -hmm. um so yeah. the, the issue with a character that has lots of eccentricities um is that they're, they're amusing at the beginning yeah. and then you start seeing why they're there in the first place for his character it was much more they stuck around and there was some progress in inverted commas for him where yeah. he, he had to deal with more lowbrow stuff like eating kfc yeah. and like uh, just just loosening up a bit but that was never teased out as much as i hoped it would be it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because i think it raises a potential question as to the narrative perspective of this film it, we mentioned it i think just before we started to record about it being seen through vigo mortensen's eyes and i think that's intriguing because i think the most pertinent emotional and character development is when we find out that Mahershala's character is stuck between two worlds, one in which it's a high-class white society that treats him as a musical machine that's just yeah. to entertain him, and another who feels like a black community who feels like 
he's turned their back on them. And the fact that we see this from Vigo's, uh, Mortensen's character, Tony, from his perspective is intriguing because I, uh, because I don't think it's the best way it, that could have been done, but it's probably the most palatable way it could have been done, you know? Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I think I think we're in concord about kind of how we think the critique goes of the film. Yeah. Um, do you want to go into talking about the Oscar nominations for the film itself? Because it's got five. So it's got Best Picture, Best Leading Actor for Viggo Mortensen, mm-hmm. Best Supporting Actor for Mahershala Ali, uh, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. There's one glaring issue here for me personally, and that's the film editing category. Because yeah. I think that the editing is really nothing special at all. The supporting cast of the film are quite varying. That there's some, there's some, just sort of slightly questionable acting here and there, and the the cutting in those conversations specifically. I mean, not the conversations between the two main characters, yeah. but the conversations between one of them and then someone else in the film, are edited actually, in my opinion, not very well. Um, because they, the timing between someone's response to something or like when they're laughing. It's just, it's just, it takes too long, yeah. and, and there's something there that doesn't sit well with me. Um, no, yeah. no, I, I, I was gonna call that out as well. That does seem almost like because this is getting Oscar buzz, you fill it up in several different categories. Yeah, so it, totally. You know, uh, when you think of it this sense, like because it was in essentially a road trip film, you would have shot reverse shot back to the original Multiple shot times. because yeah, because you'd have Tony at the front of the car then Don at the back, and then back and forth. And obviously that's necessary, because that's the bulk of the film's conversations, and that is also where they shine their most. But it also means it, it doesn't lead to anything particularly inspired in the editing. And I do agree with you, some of the like supporting characters, the delivery of their lines was a bit questionable. Like Especially at the beginning, because as we find out almost from the get-go, Tony works at a club, and the reason he's taking this job working for Don is because it's get under renovation. But some of his, like, even, like, the small roles of some of his, like, colleagues that are working with him, they just deliver it like it's a really hammy student production. Like, the dialogue is really poorly delivered, and maybe that was a question case of it being a bit rushed, but I, yeah. I, I don't think the editing was yeah. Yeah. anything it, to write home about. Yeah, it's ham-fisted, I, I agree. Um, but, like, like, I guess we can agree that ham-fistedness can very much be down to not always the acting, but the editing and, yeah, and, yeah, and how course, yeah. how the conversation runs. But yeah, like we, when we get to the car scenes and when we get to their interplay, yeah. nothing sweeter. Like they, they would touch a fantastic oh, job. You, you can't best. mute yeah. those their, their acting capacities in the film. So actually, I think it's a, it's a good place to pivot onto one of the other categories. It says best uh, lead actor for Vigo, Watson, and Mahershali gets best supporting. Yeah, that's do right. You, do you think that should be the case? Do you feel like he is, or because or, I know a lot of people online were saying maybe it should be the other way round because it obviously we see it through Tony Lip's perspective, but it it's a film that has two principal characters and their interplay, and a lot of people were praising both performances but said Mahershala's was better and thus maybe more worthy of the lead actor. Well, yeah, there's nothing stopping a film getting two lead actor nominations. Um, yeah. So like we, I think we said last week, The Favourite got two supporting actress nominations for Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone. Yeah. And in a weird way, those two and Olivia Colman could all be nominated for the for the lead role in, in The Favourite. Um, so I suppose it's, uh, 
it's a question of uh, having to examine the breakdown of the categories in terms of other actors. Yeah. Um, I so, wouldn't say it's the other way around, um, because I would say that Vigo deserves to be in the spot of lead. Um, but I would agree that Mahershala can be like bumped up in that way. To be honest, a bit of it is about logistics as well. I remember reading one of the reviews saying that, or uh, talking about the Oscars, that said that um, a lot of these film companies don't want their um, actors of the same film competing for the same role so they'll allocate it accordingly especially you know in accordance with like what the academy wants in the results so that there's a practicality to it as well i personally found vigo mortensen's like character like the more interesting to watch but i don't think he had like the better emotional story i don't know about you um i i think i agree i i know that he was he very much had a screen presence that was very well assumed yeah. and if you see interviews of vigo he's a extremely humble guy and it's really nice seeing the very organic way that he approaches trying to be a character and he says in one of the interviews he you know didn't want to do a disservice to the uh, tony's real life family uh by by giving a caricature of the italian american in new york he wanted to really go for it so that's deserves some respect in my opinion um i still th- i still think that he he does he does well to not make it a caricature but it, it still invokes that kind of good fellas a kind of really charismatic vibe to him uh, one of the criticisms i kind of had about his characterization though was it was kind of exactly what I expected it was when I looked at the trailers. Like, okay, this this is what he's going to play in this role. And it wasn't subverted as well as uh, Mahershala's character. I, I, I kind of went into it going, okay, this is what I'm expecting, and that is exactly what it was. Yeah, so. that's fair enough. I think that uh, it, it can tie into how it's a 12 movie and, it, and it's going to appeal to a lot of audience. And it's, for want of a much better word, because I don't want to sound like a snob mainstream, um... No, but that, that's exactly what it is. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's, um, it's, it's getting buzz for those exact reasons, Exactly, you know? exactly. That, um, that means, you know, by extension, that a lot of things need setting up that are going to make the, you know, uh, proverbial payoff better. Mm-hmm. So the, I think, I don't know, I think the jokes work pretty well. Um, I think that the, the screenplay does shine in the fact that I was laughing a lot and and it it did cast that note over me and and i was i'm prepared to to say that i didn't expect masses because uh i had heard slightly mixed things in terms of the movie as a whole and it being oscar Beatty and it very much is but because of that expectation it did it did surpass that for me just because i was just very pleased with uh, okay well mahershala ali has done extraordinarily well yeah. in his in his career so far i I think I'm right though. in saying that he's not, he hasn't had a super long film career, but it's been very strong. banger after banger. I mean, Moonlight, beautiful performance yeah. in Moonlight. Um, <laughs> Luke Cage, the Marvel TV That's, show. Uh, yeah, it's caught him out. He, they mm. shouldn't, sorry, spoilers, but they shouldn't have killed him off. He was so good. He right? was a very good part of the first season, yeah. And he's also set to, uh, he's in the new season of True Detective. And. The first season of that show is incredible. Um, season air. Yeah, I haven't actually seen it. I, I just I, I no, no, you know, just, gave up on trying to watch to that. Third, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's set to be stunning. Um, I, I've heard rumours that it'll tie into the first season, but he's the, the main detective in it, and yeah. he looks like he's going to do a fantastic job. So. But, I mean, I, I, like, I agree with you. I don't think his performance is ever really in question. I'm going to be clear when I say this. I enjoyed the film for what it was, but... 
I wasn't like blown away in any real capacity and because of the issues that it's dealing with I will remember it and because of the Oscar buzz I will remember it but it was so palatable for me like so easy to digest that I kind of just was left a bit underwhelmed like I, I was smiling and I was laughing in the cinema but I 15 minutes afterwards I was thinking did that really have as strong of an impact as it as it as I expected it to and other than the characterization it, it, it kind of fell short for me mm. yeah. I mean I mean as a whole experience package I was I was pleased because um inspired by the kfc eating sequence in the film i went and yeah. got myself a kfc afterwards and it was immensely satisfying so i've had a good like day of it i suppose you could say um yeah i, I don't know I, I think i ended i kind of came up with a good feeling and to touch back for a tiny bit on the whole justice theme of it seeing seeing a, a bigoted person being shown the the error of their ways is always an immensely satisfying thing to see yeah. um and that means that it's t- far too easy to give in to the temptation to to be indulgent to be in, yeah exactly that, that's exactly what i was going to say be indulgent and i mean i always think of back to the future the uh, the amazing scene where uh uh marty's what, what's, what's he even called is that his name martin mcfly martin yeah McFly, his yeah. dad punches the, the yeah, bully yeah, in the, the first the yeah yeah and it's just it, it's it's a lovely scene um but that kind of uh, uh on-screen justice that we always really enjoy seeing um can eclipse uh what's is uh ultimate justice to make myself sound like a smash bros game um like in the the end goal is that real justice is not being someone who is a savior uh, and and feeling good for 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 being on the right side real justice is is the fact that you'll never need to do that and obviously in the sequences of the film they're not they're not at that stage yet at all so it's fine for that to like take place yeah but i think that uh, I think you were saying on the way here, um, there's a potential issue with the whole white savior complex in the movie. To, to be honest with you, I I think this is a really uh, intrigued or pertinent point to come out of the film because I think it speaks wider about what we see on the screen in terms of justice, what you were saying. I think the form of justice that we see on the screen is what I'd probably term anarchic, retributive justice. Like That's easy to see and understand and relate to because you're like okay this person was wronged and now they're being proven wrong through whatever means but as you said that's not like realistic in the sense that when we're talking about race and discrimination such justice doesn't achieve much beyond the parameters of what is happening in that scene like what bigotry is happening and i think the film is very conscious of that but it needs to pick a lane does it want to talk about wider issues of racial segrega- segregation or is it trying to tell this story of redemption? And I, I will get onto this later because we're going to talk about road films or road trip films. I, there is probably an, a very clear intent in choosing to have a, a redemption story within this film that's set on the road as they go through and they face all this hatred, but also road trips naturally imply movement and transition and growth and going from a to b and not looking back in that regard yeah i think that the the script uh, as you say was potentially pulled in too many directions mm. and there is that the thing about the quick endorphin fix of these justice ideas um but ultimately i guess you can counter that by saying the real justice stories that i'm looking for are in real life we're surrounded by yeah. amazing people not only in oxford and university because people are doing amazing things here but also in the wider world 
I stories mean, aren't going to finish. So. I mean, it's it's. Do you go to the cinema in order to get as accurate a representation of those issues that you're facing outside, or one that's more easy to digest but can possibly, if done well, reflect some wider issues? Because I think films always make compromises. We said this with Stan and Ollie a couple weeks ago. It's the level and quality that they achieve here. And if a film looks like it is getting pulled in loads of different directions, it, it becomes very apparent to the audience. But do you want to talk about anything else um, in regards to the categories? Because was adapted screenplay one of them? It was original screenplay. Original screenplay. Yeah. Now that's interesting because whether it, the other categories might be up for debate, I think it should get that because a key constituent part of adapted screenplays is dialogue. Like, like having characters that uh, you get to know very, very quickly through clever and witty dialogue. And this film is witty. Their interactions are very organic and they're fun and they make you smile despite all the adversity. So I do think it should get that nomination, specifically just because of their two and foes. All of their wonderful scenes when they're getting to know each other and when Herschel's character is helping him write love letters to his uh, wife back home as he's not particularly good at it himself, but then he learns. It's, It's all really sweet. It's never become saccharine, but it's it's like very heartfelt and sentimental, and for that I think it should get the nomination. What about you? Do you think it should get? Yeah, no, I mean I mean totally agree. I think that um, there is something about about how slickly their conversations go in opposition to the conversations of the slickly of the supporting cast. Perfect way to describe. Yeah. It. It's, it's a smooth film. Yeah, I mean uh, I mean to to kind of go slightly against what I was saying about the editing earlier. You yeah. know, it 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 looks nice enough. It's it's very sweet and pretty, and it's not not necessarily pastel colors to the point of a film like the help for example but it's very digestible and it's something that is um very much you can consume and not have to think about too much afterwards which is surprising considering the whole that the whole um racism issue i guess um yeah i I think the screenplay did really well um it is always a challenge to well a get your audience to laugh Mm -hmm. at something and b to get those laughs to be consistent and i know what you mean about uh how it might not have felt as consistent in terms of um, what their characters were going to be like yeah, and the journeys they were going to go on. But, but there yeah. was that, I do get what you mean, there was that consistency in harking back to earlier points in the film. But, you know, yeah, I was, was, was going to say, yeah, there are loads of points in the film that they, they have very much, a, um, not necessarily ideologically, but uh, um, plot-wise, uh, very tightly packed um, narrative in terms of just calling back to tiny little scenes earlier yeah yeah yeah. the the sort of script in jokes work really well for me and it's it's, it's really nicely constituted like everything pays off and but it doesn't feel forced yeah and it's not to the point of sort of self-referential and 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 sort of snarky but it's it's just it's just sweet um i suppose yeah sweet is an ideal world for word for it what? Slick and sweet. There slick we go. and sweet. <laughs> we, we could have done this with you in 30 seconds, slick and sweet. No, no, no. no. Obviously, it's more complex. But what I would like to do maybe in a few episodes' time, if we do a review of If Bill Street Could Talk, um, mm. maybe We're do planning a, on it. Yeah, do a slight comparison, because that's directed by Barry Jenkins, who also directed Moonlight, which Mahersh Ali was in. And it would be interesting to see the kind of our thoughts about the quality and these two Oscar contenders, what one holds up, what one will have a more enduring factor. Yeah, more just general staying power, because I, I think there are certain films that come Academy season 
they get all buzz up and then we forget about them yeah so, totally i agree so i was underwhelmed there were enjoyed the interactions between uh, the main two but not amazing yeah i i think that's that's fair to say um i think i despite those problems with it i was still pleased and was happy to have had a nice experience yeah. and i laughed a lot so yeah. that's always handy perfect do you want to move on from that should we yeah let's do it so lovely another segue because that film was centered around a long protracted road trip we're gonna talk about our favorite road trip films so do you want to start do you want me to go or... i've got two so if you've got yeah, more you know, than one i also have two actually awesome so okay you can go first then we'll back and yeah, forth it. i'll give it a start um once again i've taken some cheeky options and i i, I like playing with these things a little bit so yeah, i apologize for that we play fast and loose with this, it's a yeah. common thing um so I've gone first for Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. I know that it's not exactly your typical... It's a high-octane. Yeah, road trip. It, it, it's a high-octane, no-holds-barred, very bloody road trip. Um, but a road trip nonetheless in that it is... The central story is Furiosa trying to find her people again and Max trying to not be killed by insane, white-painted, radioactively poisoned the people. Boys, right? <laughs> yeah. It's very much a goes from point A to B and then back to A again because they're halfway through they're like yeah, oh yeah. no we have to return to where we just escaped from so yeah I think I mean it has a lot um, we've talked about it I think in the very first podcast with yeah. um, good female heroine so Furiosa is uh, Charlie Theron does a great job um, I mean thinking about it now you know Immortan Joe is not necessarily the most iconic cinematic villain but he just serves the role so well there's incredibly well imagined sequence uh, sequences in terms of you know car chase things and and, and incredible incredible visuals um, I, I mean that's so. intriguing because that's it's definitely a certain breed of road trip film in that it's one where there's an antagonistic force chasing after them so they're pushed through <laughs> where you know whereas you could go down a different route which i might do later where it's like a road trip where they're trying to get to something rather than away from something mm. but they're both decisions or characters that propel someone out from their um comfort zone or as john york says in his book is um which we can add a link to which is really good about storytelling mm -hmm. the main character or characters go into the woods and so it's it's the same kind of thing with uh fury road that they're kind of pushed out and that's what makes it spectacular and i know we were clamoring over it in the first episode but that's yeah. a really good choice yeah. i've got more to say about my second one so you go for yours okay. first okay um my one is also one of my favorite films of all time so we had high fidelity last week this is a, <laughs> another one but this one is a lot more solidly consolidated in my top 10 there's never a doubt that's not there little miss sunshine Okay, fair enough, yeah. I've only that. ever seen the first sort of sequence, so oh, I'm sorry no, for that. No, I know. No. You need to watch. I know. Yeah, we'll, we'll watch it at some point this week. I love this film. It's just so... For, you know, an independent film, which made a lot of money for starters, it's just so likeable and so funny and very witty. And just to give a kind of very, very brief overview to anyone who hasn't seen it without spoiling anything, it just centres around the Hoover family who go on an 800 mile road trip in this Volkswagen type 2 bright yellow uh, van to take their youngest daughter Olive to a beauty pageant called Little Miss Sunshine, the Little Miss Sunshine pageant. And the film is just an examination and an affirmation of family values and needing each other when you all go through trials and tribulations. But it's a lot smarter than that and you've got some amazing characters in it like the granddad who Alan... Um, 
Alan Arkin plays, who is just amazing in it. He's just freewheeling, drug-taking, magnificent force that just makes the film infinitely more funny. But it, it's just a very heartfelt film that manages to get a quite emotionally resonant ending that doesn't feel like a traditional rom like traditional comedy fare like it the the message of it is a uh, about beauty and you know staying true to your family and and it's just lovely and one thing i will say about it is the ending as well as being really heartfelt is just deliciously outrageous it's it just perfect fit for the end of the film plus it's got the first really great roles in serious films or semi-serious films from Steve Carell as we were saying in the episode before he's kind of shifted but anyway be, the to relate it to the road trip aspect it's just they have to get to this pageant and they go in this really iconic Volkswagen as I was saying and it's just they're all in this really cramped environment because they can't afford to get a plane and that's how all these family interactions work themselves out to for better and for worse it's great and it also has just the one of the first um like quite good performances from abigail breslin who was quite young in it as she was the daughter so little miss yeah. sunshine we'll leave a link for it in the um the, in, in our bio. bio i definitely will um i think when i was a bit younger i was someone who really couldn't deal with very deliciously dark comedy in yeah. terms of character because the, the beginning of the film was very depressing yeah from totally. what i remember but that was only seen the first 15 minutes so you can't you know oh, take, def- take away judgment of a yeah, film it's definitely in... quite dire from the start but it's in, it's intentional mm. like but yeah because you just to a brief outline you have steve carell's character who is the uncle to the family who's tried to kill himself because of rejection as you later discover from an ex-boyfriend and it's just one of the several avenues in which the different family crises converge and then diverge and amazing performances from Paul Dano as well as like the kind of emo-y son. Oh, is it Paul Dano? Yeah, yeah. He must be quite young in that. Yeah, I mean, he always looks quite young. So 06, I think. Is it Paul Dano? I haven't seen the film, so possibly not. (laughs) I'm I'm pretty sure it is. We'll have to search that up. Yeah, it's got a very youthful face. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he's like the emo-y Nietzsche reading uh, son who <laughs> wants to be a pilot but has done a vow of silence and is all of those kind of archetypes but it's never seen as cl- seen as cliche hmm. so you're going to watch that and hopefully anyone who hasn't seen it that's listening to this is going to watch it because one of my favourite films and it's always been one of my favourite films Little Miss Sunshine fantastic okay um, my second one actually is similar to my first um, in the sense that it is a aggressive road trip instead of a heartfelt one mm-hmm. um Steven Spielberg's first really known feature-length film, Ooh. Duel, from 1971, starring Dennis Weaver, who was very well known for a, a TV show that he was on for a long time, a Western TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, uh, basically that the the central plot is this completely average, normal commuter guy who is just trying to get home to his wife after a long day at work, um, and he happened to go on uh, a trip to a guy conference. I think it is. Yeah. That's why he's he's further away, so that the journey back is longer. And he starts getting terrorized by this enormous, like, demon truck. That is, someone is driving it, so it's not a demon truck in itself. Um, that is trying to get him off the road, and the idea is, like, trying to kill him. But we, ha- we never, like, understand why. And it's basically just one long, not so much one long chase sequence, because it, it, it kind of has a couple of literal yeah. pit stops. Um, but 
uh it's very sort of very tightly packed not long at all it's, it's um so before yeah before duel uh we had uh the very obscure firelight from 1964 which was spielberg's first feature length which we literally can't see anymore um because we don't actually have the reels for it yeah, yeah. i think you can see a couple of minutes of it uh, like a couple of like sundance mm-hmm. festivals that kind of thing um but apart from that it's very much impossible yeah. to, to locate so that means that Jaws is very much his like first well-known film and you know before jaws and before he uh, really really became a yeah. stolidly famous director i think he was given 11 days to to make this film and he did it in 13 which is which is you know insanely impressive for anyone yeah. who's trying to make a feature-length movie especially at that time as well like obviously equipment was becoming easier to carry around and you could have smaller production teams but to do that in less than two weeks is incredible. Yeah, it, it's amazing. So they put the original, and it's like 75 minutes or something, on, on TV. It was a TV yeah. movie. And it was so popular that it was scheduled for international release. So after they'd finished the whole movie, um, Spielberg filmed like an extra two days of footage to make a 90-minute movie instead for the wider release. So it's got a charming little backstory of a really packed production. Um, but it's a very tight film um it has the, the classic theme of like that the scariest thing is what you don't understand yeah like that this guy is dead he's just he's a normal guy he's desperately trying to understand why he's being terrorized by yeah. like an evil motorist and and we have a scene like in this in this sort of pit stop cafe place where he's trying to work out like what this guy's doing so there's kind of stepping into the unknown um and leveling this this palpable fear over yeah. the whole thing of, of uh, and, and seeing where it's gonna go and it doesn't necessarily progress super far in terms of uh, in terms of plot but like mm. for a for a ultimately a debut as a director it's really impressive mm. uh, and it's just a very uh it, it's just a film that i i thought because i actually haven't really seen any road trips of the sunshine variety mm-hmm. so the ones that came to mind were those two when, when i sort of thought of it and then and then like looked up road trip movies and you know how like on on google if you look up like best movies ever it'll mm. come up with like a little bar at the top of like yeah, yeah, godfather yeah, yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. And so, so for road trips, it comes up with things like Little Miss Sunshine, but also Mad Max and yeah. Duel. Um, so I've there's, seen both of those. There's, so. there's definitely differing varieties in this, and you know, as as much as we have like the action-packed ones, you also have the kind of more why they on the road kind of heartfelt story. The kind of thing that um, I think there was a Netflix film that came out last year or the year before last, which was like the fundamentals of caring with Paul Rudd and it was oh, yeah. it was it was kind of like a little Miss Sunshine analog like that kind of artsy oh, I didn't realize it was a road trip sort of thing yeah, yeah. I had really good things about yeah it. no yeah. It's, it's a nice film um but it pales in comparison to Little Miss Sunshine yeah, but fair enough. still really enjoyable I will briefly mention my second yeah option, go for it because then we can have a slightly wider discussion about why road trip films are so enduring my second one which is one that probably appears on a fair few lists as well but it came to my mind because there was recent news about a uh, imminent sequel 10 years later Zombieland ah so very so, good choice yeah it, well so they like I said they announced the sequel which is going to be called Zombieland Double Tap as in from the first film you've got to shoot the zombie twice double tap otherwise it's going to come back like mm. you always be sure that you've killed it but I really like that film because it is obviously a road film but the the stakes of it like being a zombie apocalypse make it really high but it's a very personal story about four characters of which you know none of their names by the end of it because they're all called whatever location they're heading to so like Tallahassee and Wichita and that also has Abigail Breslin coincidentally as the young kid in it but everyone remembers that film for the 
Bill Murray zombie moment where they yeah, shoot I was thinking of that. that. Yeah. But you see them going along trying to get to their respective loved ones if they're still alive. And Woody Harrelson wanting oh. his Twinkies. Yeah, and he yeah. wants his Twinkies. <laughs> yeah, like that is his narrative arc. He, yeah. he wants the Twinkies and that pushes him along the, you know, road trip storyline. But it's intriguing because it's utilised in different ways. You see with Mad Max, it's obviously, like we were mentioning, running away from an, like an antagonistic force. Whereas in Zombieland, as, as much as it's a comedy, because it's a world ridden full of zombies, the road is always where you're going because you're always moving and there's that nomadic element, um, kind of degree to it or facet to it, which I think is interesting in a wider sense. But everyone loves that film. I, I don't think I ever hear anyone criticise it particularly harshly. Funnily enough, though, as I mentioned when I spoke about Venom a couple of weeks ago, directed by Ruben Fleischer, the same guy who did Venom, definitely a fall from grace for that. Um, <laughs> Is he going to direct the second one as well? I No, I think they're replacing okay. him, but they're moving forward. Anyway, if I go off on another rant about Venom, that won't be productive. So I will say, <laughs> yes, Zombieland, I'm glad there's going to be a second one. I hope it's as good of quality, and they've taken their time to do it. That's a great road trip film. So moving on to a more general point why just brief thoughts why do you think road trip films especially in american cinema are so enduring mm. you know like they, they they have a staying factor to them in so many different varieties as we were saying yeah i think i've got a couple of general points so uh, we, what we touched on earlier about the the emotional core of of progress in a character yeah. um is very easily teased out by the plot of a road trip in that if you've got a physical a to b in a movie that yeah. Always, hundred percent. Always. It's a lot easy visually. Means yes, yeah, exactly. So it always means a character arc from A to B in a, in a different sense. So it's a it's a good platform for it. I think that we have um, in our culture a pervaded sense of the the hero's journey. Yeah. Um, from I think that's it, that a Jungian thing. Yeah. Um, but basically, you know, the kind of the the, the cycle between like uh, falls from grace and 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 rising and classic dark knight like tagline of yeah. why do we fall because we pick ourselves yeah. back up again um and come back stronger from it uh yeah i think um there's i mean as well as progress discovery um yeah. you know um discovering new places is always a exciting and a stimulating thing and and there's a reason why travel is so popular as a idea um yeah. discovery that the world is so large it's, it's, um, it's intrigue it's curiosity and i oh, building on for what you were saying i think it's um pertinent in terms of audiences feeling like characters have been developed even over a short period of time because I, I often think about this when I've watched a film if it comes full circle or you've gone on a journey with these characters how have they been able to achieve that kind of realized sense of like time passing and discoveries being made and characters changing and I think the road trip formula makes that easier to identify because you're like okay they started here and they ended here even if there's not a specif specified place as to where they're going, there's an idea that they're moving. And that helps contribute to the atmosphere of feeling like progress has been made, even if it hasn't been. And I think also, this is slightly speculative, but also feeds into a lot of American cinema. You have that whole previous idea of westward expansion and exploration of a massive country that is United States, you know, demarcated by different states with different regional identities and having a road trip story whether it's easy rider fear and loathing it creates that sense of traversal and 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 like you were saying characters exploring the unknown and i think that's probably why i think it's so prominent in american cinema because it's such a huge country and how are you going to get 
across the place, if not by plane, then you're going to take a, a couple Harleys and go down the Route 66 or whatever, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, totally. It sounds cliche, but it's part of Amer- uh, American cinema tropes, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, as you say, a massive country, it's obviously uh, arbitrary um, what the actual state lines are yeah, between yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is so interesting, like, you know, um, as a British person, I would have less of a sense of what it um, means to have different identities from different mm-hmm. states, but you don't have to think super hard to think that a place like maybe Arkansas um, is different from California. Um, but like I said, I would have to go there to really understand what that would actually mean. Um, yeah, uh, like I said, in terms of discovery, um, movies sell if they look nice. Yeah. Um, having nice locations is, is so important. Um, and if you're seeing the sights of the world, um, what better way to communicate that than making a movie where you can share in the in the visual experience as well as the emotional experience so for example bill bryson the legendary comedic writer i read the lost continent uh, which is basically a massive road trip and that is just hilarious Uh, he kind of goes through and and finds just really small town america places and details not necessarily always positive experiences of, of these places and as well as as giving some searing comedic reviews of stuff he, he is also available uh, able to give a sense of what it means to go from from place to place yeah. and to experience different food and and different all this stuff um so i think yeah baseline the the most like attractive thing to think about is the emotional progress which yeah. is very much easy to play out again like it depends what kind of film you want to make. If you want to make a claustrophobic movie, you're not going to make a road trip movie. Yeah, you're yeah. going to make a, a film like, um, you know, The Room. Yeah. Um, sorry, no, hang on. Not The Room. Wrong one, wrong one. That's I mean, recommend as a masterpiece of cinema. Yeah. But what I meant was, sorry, Room. Yeah, so it is a, a case of if you have a certain intent for a film, you adhere to certain styles. And if yeah. a style fits the road trip format, then it's usually about expanse, it's about discovery. And I think... It doesn't matter what the medium is, there is a a recurrence of interest in displacing someone from what they know into a more alien setting. So even if you'll see it in, on TV, you have like, used to have an idiot abroad, Carl Pilkington. <laughs> and that yeah. was like for comedic laughs and stuff like, oh, look, he's a fish out of water. How's he going to react? But then you have stuff like uh, The Trip with Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan, which is also like, they know each other for quite a long time. So there is you know habitual stuff not that it get dated but putting them in new settings is what brings out the developments and what makes things interesting so it is a case of the relationship between the setting and the character is it a new place is it a place that they're not familiar with and that's what's leading to developments in the story or is is it just a backdrop but a visually pleasing backdrop yeah i think these are all very micro uh sorry macro points is what i mean to say um but i guess the final one i'll say is about the fascination of of like self versus other Mm. which is something that we've seen not only in films but in in history yeah i I mean uh, you know it can go all the way i'm a classicist so it can go all the way back to um ancient greece with Mm. identification of being a greek versus being a persian for example uh, after the persian wars so we have lots of sort of very strange vases depicting domination of, of Persia uh, in, in different ways, um, military and otherwise. Um, so so in a similar sense, if you, if you buy that, we have a sort of innate interest in something that's not ourselves um, and how that thing is going to be defined 
can be uncomfortable because we can encounter yeah. something that's, that's apparently better than what we are mm-hmm. and which would require us to change to accommodate it or um, in a less mature way it could be you know more pejorative and, and less exciting or stimulating than our than what our lives are perceived to be yeah. um but for, yeah for sure and and for a film to do that effectively that having the format like going across different boundaries of different areas of places that you're not familiar with allows for a, a, what you described as a the tightness of uh, green book um you know it's, it's it allows it to keep it moving and there's a momentum that otherwise would come across as like really slow if it was a quite accurate depiction of people going in for the countless amount of hours so like i think yeah i think there is this basic tenant of discovering new the new or discovering the other things that you're not familiar with that bodes well with that kind of format i mean yeah i think ultimately road trips for rider a platform for thematic panache is my oh, last lovely. is my last comment. Yeah. I was brewing over that for a few minutes. Oh. Um, we can always just talk about a film that we saw recently. If you've seen anything in the past week, uh, my film recommendation for this week, also another film that I've seen before but enjoy thoroughly, is Human Traffic. Okay. Um, it's directed by Justin Carrigan, and there's not much in terms of plot to it other than it tells the story of a night out of these young. British teens or early 20 party goers who are really into like the ecstasy and drug scene and they're kind of what you would probably describe as like weekend offenders living you know doing the the day daily slog of work from nine to five from Monday to Friday but on the weekend that's when they let loose and it's just this really quite authentic and compelling depiction of young British people in the 90s going out that doesn't feel cliched or have to be reductive. Cause or judgmental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels very free and abstract in the way that it depicts, depicts these guys. And nice. it has really great performances from a younger John Sim. And and I, I don't think many people would say this about him for a lot of his roles, Danny Dyer. Yeah, he, he does a really great role in, uh, in that as a one of these kind of drug-taking mad people who cool. are just always up for a party oh, check human it out. traffic we'll put a link for that if uh, people want to watch it I think it might be on YouTube but we'll see we'll see um, my one is The Machinist which is directed by Brad Anderson and stars Christian Bale uh, before his role in Batman Begins the year before um, 2004 uh, yeah 04 that's right um, he plays this um, insomniac worker at a, at a, at a machine factory mm-hmm. um, and he seems to be plagued by insomnia and hence, he is really emaciated, horrendously thin, and sort of various visions haunt him, and it's a sort of mystery thriller as to like what's happening to him, what really is the truth yeah. behind what's hap- what's happening to him. Um, in preparation for the role, which we see, which we hear a lot of these days, Bale ate an apple a day and nothing else. Um, and the director famously like threatened to pull off the entire shoot if he didn't eat more because he was worried that he would die. Which is which is it's taking obviously that, pretty horrific. Taking that saying a bit too literally. Exactly, yeah, yeah, uh, and obviously it's made even all the more impressive in hindsight when we know that the year afterwards he had to bulk up immensely mm-hmm. for for Batman. Um, and and if you see sort of a side by side comparison, it's it's 
um, incredible and, and sort of the, the scary level of incredible. He, um, he's definitely an actor who very much invests himself into his roles. Like I have heard other true. stories of him like fluctuating in his weight, and and obviously we were saying about it last week with the whole complete transformation into Dick Cheney for Vice. Mm, so yeah, exactly. Yeah, someone who gets fully subsumed into yeah. who, he's, who yeah. he's depicting. I think as, as the machinist goes, like it falls into the pitfall of having too much like swelling thematic music. Um, mm-hmm. as a sort of early 2000s movie well, I suppose so I mean Green Book had a lot of it yeah. um, and where, where I think if it were made more recently it would very much do well with being uh, a film that had much less music yeah. because um, it would trust more in the performance of Christian mm-hmm. Bale and in and in its nuances because there are some scenes that are a bit too ham-fisted but there are others that are really yeah. nail-biting and when, when I finished the film I was in a re- really weird spot and it did leave me kind of processing some some emotions and it is it is quite a grim movie yeah uh, and and it's ultimately his quest to sleep again after a year of insomnia in, in some senses but i can recommend oh, no, i will definitely give it a watch then that, mm. that's been somewhere in the back of my list for a while so <laughs> same it's here shot up now that you recommended it yeah uh i think we should conclude things there yeah absolutely another great episode I hope. it has been a pleasure matty yeah uh bye everyone all right thanks very much and thanks. goodbye You've been listening to Oxide Film. Thank you and good night. <laughs>